0: You are listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Um, Just as things are getting settled, just as we're making a start, look, I I was feeling a bit unwell this week. That's, that's what I was looking for. And accidentally, I ended up taking some cat medicine. Don't ask me how. <laughs> now, considering, <laughs> hang on, hang on, because our text today is uh, <laughs> do everything without grumbling. And you all just had a good whinge that I came up with that horrendous joke. Actually, to be fair, just, uh, and I better say this, because this does go out uh, to probably about six people on our podcast. Uh, but just in case, uh, that was a joke, I think, from the Fringe uh, Festival this year. It was one of the one-liners. I took cat medicine, don't ask me how. Anyway, um, <laughs> we are in Philippians 2. If you'd like to go there in your Bibles or your mobile device. And we're going to actually be in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And I actually started this a couple of weeks back. We we looked at that first bit about grumbling and arguing and what that meant. I'm not going to rehash that. So if you missed it and you want to catch up and hear what was said, then you can uh, become the seventh person to listen to our podcast as well. Um, (laughs) Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, And we pointed out that everything means everything, uh, without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of faith. Uh, Now, keep your thumb in uh, your Bible there or a mark or something, because that's our main text. We'll be coming back to that. But today, I want to talk to you about sending the right message. Now, to help you understand what kind of thing I'm talking about here, think about you go for an interview, or you're going to meet some new people or go into a new social situation like a new job, a, a new church, a new club, a new school or college. Or maybe a first date or you know, meeting your in-laws for the first time. You want to send the right message. You want your first impression to be a good one because we know that first impressions last. And this is not just about textual or verbal communication. We know that the way we act conveys an awful lot. It speaks volumes, our body language, our actions, our behaviors, they reveal a lot how you present yourself, how you dress, how you act, are as important as what you speak or what you say. And and so character, whether revealed to be true or perceived, Uh, is important. Politicians talk of optics. They, They talk of, does this look right? Can we manipulate this so that it sends the message that we want to send? Or perhaps you yourselves have in the past had to respond to an email or a letter or a text and you want to get the tone right. You want to convey something appropriately. And so I often get jest to proofread, even simple texts, quite often. Just, does that look, am I saying that right? Because the problem with text, isn't it, is that you can't really convey your tone of voice or your kind of jovial manner or anything like that. And so text can just look horrific on a page if they don't have 100 emojis following it afterwards. Now, flip that, because sending the right message, flip it around, have you ever found yourself sending the wrong message? <laughs> There's a few nods and a few, yeah, yeah. But, you know, perhaps to the wrong person. So I've had a, a couple of clangers of this where I've meant to send a text to one person, and I've sent it to another person. One of them, I'm just not gonna go there with you guys. There's some things that are just gonna be restricted forever. But, but the other day, I was on the train coming back from Edinburgh, and I went to text Jess to say, hi, love, I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Do you want to meet in Lillithgow and let's have a coffee? And uh, I sent it to the guy that I'm asking to redo our front door by <laughs> accident. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized very quickly, I was like, sorry, mate. but I'll have a coffee with you sometime if you like (laughs) or or perhaps you've sent you've got the content wrong you know where, where you've misunderstood or misheard or misreproduced a message. You know, we talked in school about Chinese whispers, and you'd all sit in a... I'm sure that's probably racist, and we can't use that phrase anymore, but, but like you'd all sit in a big line, a, a big circle, and you'd start with something, and you'd pass it around and see what happens by the time it gets back. And I was the kid to deliberately change it. That, that was my role in life. Or, or perhaps you get the wrong tone. And like I just mentioned, we, we can get so in trouble with online media. And things like that, whether it's our intention or otherwise. Dangerous place, social media. People will rarely understand what it is that you are trying to communicate from your head, no matter how well you try to word it. So just an air of caution there. Uh, And also, hasty emails or letters Poorly worded text. I've got myself into big trouble with emails that I've sent when I'm hot under the collar. And I'm like, right, (laughs) I'm going to let them have it. (laughs) Type it, send. I'm going to send it before I change my mind. Big mistake. (laughs) Never send before you give yourself a, a chance to change your mind. Or perhaps we ourselves sometimes devalue the message with the wrong character or behavior backing that message up. You see, actions can contradict a message. Th- think of talent shows, like the X Factor, because it's actually the only one I can think of. But you know, sometimes people walk in, and obviously they think they've got the X Factor, otherwise they wouldn't be there. But sometimes people walk in and they're just quaking and you can tell straight away like your behavior here is betraying something it's, it's saying a different message to the one that you want to be sending like I've got the x factor it's saying a different message and so can arrogance sends the wrong message as well have you ever thought man I represented myself really badly there back to Philippians and the context of Philippians is we're in a letter I've said that a few times. I'll keep saying that. We're in a letter. Now, Paul hasn't pulled like a, a random thought out of the air. He's continuing a thought, and he's also responding to a situation going on in Philippi right here in this letter. And so if we look back in the letter, just a quick recap. Like we, we've got these mega themes like grace, Undeserved, unmerited favor of God poured out upon us. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And yet God pours it out upon you. That's grace. And then we looked at partnership. Paul talks about the partnership in the gospel. That's partnership with each other. We're we're striving together as family, but for a unified purpose. Partnership in The gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel without fear or without coming from false motives. Paul talks about suffering for this gospel. That's painful, but he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he talks about how we live, or he implores us to live lives that are worthy of this calling live with worthy conduct in our behaviors. And he gives attention to the example of Jesus Christ, who came as a suffering servant, a, a servant king, who, who came with humility and for sacrifice, who, who made himself nothing, but because of this, God exalted him to the highest place that's where we've been in this letter now look forward because when we get to the end of this chapter eventually we'll see two really positive examples that paul wants to point out in timothy and epaphroditus He wants the church in Philippi to recognize something about these guys. So he's pointed out Jesus later on even. He says, "You know, copy me basically as I copy Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But in the middle of that, he gives two other examples. But look a bit further ahead and you see part of the reason for Paul's focus here. If you look to chapter four, if you've got your Bible there, it's not going to come on the screen, but chapter four, verse two. I plead with you, Odea, And I plead with synthecy to be of the same mind in the Lord. Something's going on here. We don't really know what it is. We don't get a window into that. We don't know whether they've fallen out over the the coffee rotor, or if they've fallen out because one of them wants to be in the band, the other one wants to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary and Martha, or there's something else that they've done. We don't know what the context is there, but we know they are not in agreement with each other, and Paul needs to mention it because it's affecting everything around them. And they are genuine believers. This is really important because this affirms that, yes, believers can and do (laughs) grumble and argue. No, no. (laughs) It also affirms that this is not the end of the road. So if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, it's not the end of the road for you, okay. But it needs dealing with. And that's what Paul's addressing here. Uh, their issue is sending the wrong message. It's damaging each other and it's damaging the church. It's damaging their witness. It's serious. And so Paul is saying that grumbling and arguing misrepresents God. And that's not how we're supposed to be. Uh, look again at what he says. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. There's a contrast here, okay, and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, scripture, God's word to us. He's saying things like this, grumbling and arguing hinder our spiritual growth. That's what becoming blameless and pure is. The the process that we call sanctification, okay, the ongoing process in our lives, and grumbling and arguing hinder that. He also says that, that these things are out of character with the child of God. So child of God, this morning you've received Jesus, you are a believer, you are a child of God, but actually this makes us look like children of the world instead. And for that reason, it dims our shine. Like, we're, we're like a, a star that's burning out and, and lose... Actually, I think the opposite happens Then it gets brighter <laughs> as it burns out. But anyway, you get the idea. We're, we're stars that lose their shine when we grumble and argue. There are ways that Christians sometimes talk or behave that are inconsistent with the message that we carry. Well, what's that message? Question, what's God's message to mankind? Really, this is the nub of it all. What is God's message? Ultimately, from start to finish, from from beginning to end, God's message to all mankind is that he loves us, that, that he wants to walk with us, that he wants to be present with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to work with us. Uh, And even when he picked one man from whom to grow one nation, Throughout Scripture, we see that this one man, Abraham, this nation is grown and and blessed through Abraham, but then through that nation, the nations are to be blessed. God's heart has always been the whole world, and not just Abraham, and not just the Israelites, but for them to bless everyone, and therefore for us to be a blessing to the world. God wants a relationship with us we're built for this, we're created for this purpose, and that through this, we give him glory. By being the humans that God has called us to be in relationship with him, rightly, we give him glory, like shining like stars in the sky. You know, to worship, is to relate to God rightly. That's really it, to, to give him his due, to, to reflect back to him his glory. Worship isn't music. Music assists worship. But worship is even more than just lifestyle and character. It is the epicenter of a heart that wants to radiate God's glory back to him shining like stars in the sky you know we have a relationship with what we worship and so let our relationship and the focal point of our worship be Jesus Christ but the problem is that relationship was broken. It, it, Paul talks about a warped and crooked generation. It's warped and crooked through sin and sinfulness. So, what we worship or have a relationship with has shifted. We were created to pour glory back out to God. Uh, and yet, what happened in the garden was that we reshifted our focus back onto ourselves and onto things around us that are not God. We still worship, but we worship something different. Last week, Margaret spoke about the garden that God created, that he he put man in to tend and care. But since Adam and Eve got it so wrong, so too have we, ever since that point. And Margaret mentioned three gardens. It's a really good message. Go back and listen to it if you weren't here. But, But the first garden was Eden. The perfect garden. The second garden she mentioned was Gethsemane, where Jesus, God with us, has come into a garden of suffering to help point us back to the garden that God intends for us to inhabit. And then the third garden was in the new Jerusalem. That wonderful hope, imperishable, that we have in front of us. In each of these gardens, what is the main point? God with us. God walking with his people. God is in the garden. In the first garden, God walked with Adam in the garden. Jesus kneels and weeps and prays and sweats drops of blood. God is in the garden, bleeding for mankind. And then that wonderful day where we don't need an orbit of a sun to illuminate because the sun will be the radiance that we need. God in the garden. These gardens are all representations of God with us, Emmanuel. And so now God's message is one of rescue and restoration and resuscitation because we are dead in our sins and in our sinful nature, but God made us alive in Christ. We were still sinners, and yet Christ died for us, the ungodly. So the message is the possibility of peace with God. And even outside of these gardens... Even between them, throughout history, God has appointed something to ensure that he is in the midst of his people. After that first garden, we have the ark, the representation of God with his people. And then we have the temple. And then we have the Christ. And now we have the church. You see where this is so important Because if the gardens represent God's presence, and if the ark represents his presence, and if the temple represents his presence, and if Jesus is his presence in flesh, then what does that say that we should look like as the church? What does that say about our behavior and our characteristics as the church? Because that's where we fit into this. We're co-laboring with Jesus Christ in the restoration work that he is doing. We are part of the message. He wants us to co-labor with him in blessing the nations, in representing him as ambassadors, Paul says. Being a demonstration of his presence in the world. Shining among them like stars in the sky. That is the contrasting note that the church should resound in a dark, crooked and warped world. It's hard to do that if we've got internal bickerings and arguings going on. We are the bearers of the greatest message in history. The only message that's really worth hearing, the only message that is going to Exists long after everything else folds. That message you carry in your heart and in your life. Jesus Christ has come to redeem, rescue, and restore because God so loved the world. Because God so loves you. God so loves the person that you grumble or argue about. And all too often, the church... I'm talking globally, can be sending the wrong message. What this looks like today is that that God is building his church to be like that garden, to be a place of beauty and peace and healing and belonging and safety and rest because the church is representative. The church is ambassadorial, if that's even a word. But that's our role and he has put humans, he's put us into this garden to tend it. In fact, more than that, we are that garden. We're a temple of living stones. That's what we are. We are the garden of peace. But so often we taint it with our actions. The garden that should be peace and security becomes a place where people get hurt. I'm sure all of you at some point have been hurt by something or someone in some church, somewhere. Okay? It's almost impossible, I think it probably is impossible, to go through life as a believer and not be hurt by another believer. And sometimes churches have done things horrifically wrong. Let's separate these two things out here. Sometimes there are abuses that are hidden behind curtains. Sometimes there are things that go on in churches. Sometimes there are mad, um, maniacal people that just have one ambition, and that is to get themselves to the top of the tree, that they make it all about them. And in those kind of contexts, people will get hurt. But the reality is, you don't have to go to a broken-down, destroying kind of church to get hurt in church. You just have to sit next to another human being. You just need to have a conversation, have share your life. Somebody will offend you, somebody will upset you, something will happen at some point. The question is, what do we do with that afterwards? Because the church can be a place where a word in love becomes... A careless criticism. Where where gentleness becomes rough-handedness. Where where unity becomes division. And where healing becomes wounding. And yet we're meant to be different. Not not different weird. Not not different kooky. Not, not, Not different like priggish or aloof or unkind. But different wonderful. Blameless and pure. Like, what's wrong with that? Different, lovely, and fragrant. That's what we're called to be. Different, radiant. Not just the ladies, <laughs> but the men. Radiant, like stars in the sky. We should stand out in a beautiful way. What do stars do? What, what is the message of the stars? They light up the darkness. They show men where home is. I mean men and women, but anyone navigating. The stars can literally guide you home. And that's a big function of the church. We are there that people can navigate their way back into a relationship with Father God. We are literally signposts in a blank, black, dark canvas saying this way. And stars tell of the glory of God. Tell out my soul. We're we're meant to shine in contrast to the world. We gather like constellations to illuminate the night sky. And so people can navigate home by the light we cast. That's the church. The church is meant to contain and reflect The glory of the Christ. But all too often we resound with the grumble of the flesh. Listen, we're meant to be different, act different, talk different, think different. From what? From the world. And so just have a brief look at the world here. Because Paul makes this comparison. Children of God and a warped and crooked generation. There's an entire message just here as Paul says later in the letter he says in chapter 3 verses 18 and 19 they talking about this warped and crooked generation live as enemies of the cross their God is their stomach their glory is in their shame Their, their mind is set on earthly things we need to set our mind on heavenly things as Paul says later And so here, Paul says that grumbling and arguing is actually out of character for a child of God. It's opposite to the nature of Christ. It's more reflective of the world and its ruler. So the world's message, the world heralds, the world heralds virtue and morality on the surface. It makes a big noise about virtue and morality on the surface, but it is a chasm of anger and deceit and greed and violence underneath that. You just have to scratch the surface a little bit, and that is the pus that will come out from the world. It holds tolerance as a banner, and yet it doesn't tolerate any alternative viewpoint. That's the world. Have you noticed that? You, we are supposed to tolerate every lifestyle choice, and yet, if we say, hang on, God's got something different to say about that, then suddenly that whole tolerance thing just evaporates, and you become a bigoted idiot that is belonging in the past, in the archaic part of history. The world's message is permissive, anything goes. Unless it restricts me. You can do whatever you want to do. More power to you. Go and enjoy your life, but don't step on my toes in the process. And, And actually, because of that, the world, it says it's permissive, but it's actually restrictive. Because it promises you freedom, but it doesn't deliver it. In fact, actually the way the world works steals freedom... And locks us up in addiction and attraction to wrong gods. That's the world. You know, that whole thing, I want to be an individual. You know, when I was younger, I went through a bit of a gothic phase. Because I want to be an individual, just like all the other ones. (laughs) I want to be unique, just like everybody else. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't quite work. The world says be happy, take control, live out your own way as long as no one gets hurt. But the reality is someone always gets hurt. Uh, And the world is reactive and aggressive. If you don't believe me, go and have a conversation with almost anybody about some of the issues that are being discussed in the Scottish Parliament right now around gender, around sexuality, around marriage around what a minister can and can't say. You know, there's a law that is about to go through that would mean it would be illegal for me to say that marriage should be between a man and a woman. It would become illegal for me to say that, even just to say this is what I think the Bible says, even just to say it that way, I think this is what God says, that becomes illegal if somebody's offended by it. But how do I know that? <laughs> That's where the world is. The world is like an Easter egg. It tastes good and it sparkles, but it's empty inside. And it, it won't satisfy, and it will leave you sick if you consume too much of it. The message of the world is to declare... Now, this is... Billy Graham said this. He said, The message of the world is to declare the rightness of God to be wrong and the wrongness of man to be right. That is exactly what is happening. And actually, we all know that there's something deeply wrong with humanity. Just look around, or look inside. We know that there is no real rightness in mankind other than God. A simple compare and Contrast reveals flaws. Now, then I'm going to get into how, how we deal with this. How, how, what can you do about it practically? But, but the world's message versus God's message, okay? The world's message, me first. God's message, God first. The world prioritizes self. The church prioritizes others. The world says, demand my rights. The church says, I'm laying down my rights. The, the world says, I'm a hero. <laughs> Worship me. In the church we say, I need a saviour. In the world, to disagree is equal to hatred. But in the church, Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The world says, self-fulfillment. The church says, self-control. The world says, shout and rage. And Jesus tells us to speak the truth in love. The world says, satisfy every desire. My Bible tells me that he will give me the desires of my heart as I focus in on him, as I trust in him, as I lean in on him. You could look at Galatians 5 where Paul contrasts the fruit of the flesh, but before that he talks about uh, Sorry, yeah that's the fruit of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit afterwards but he, he says things like the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like that's the world that Paul is contrasting and we know the fruit of the spirit is love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's a polar opposite. And yet Paul points out there's no law against any of those things. So what about you? What about me? Are our lives sending the right message? Do my words and actions speak of the glory and the goodness of God, the good news? Of Jesus Christ. To to my words and actions, speak the news of the world. Attractive, but trashy and full of falsehoods. So, what can you do about this practically? In the time I've got left, I've got three things for you. Okay? They all begin with R refocus, rhythm, and reverse. Refocus, firstly and crucially. Wherever you are, believer, just get back close to God again. Draw near again. Nothing of lasting value can happen from our own attempts to be better. We have to go back to God. Uh, How do we do this? How do we refocus? How do we draw near? Well, follow Jesus' example. He was quite a busy chap. In his ministry years, and yet he would often go away to spend time with God, get time alone with the Father. Let's follow his example, and I promise you, there are no shortcuts to this. There is no way for you to grow in character, in faith, in godliness, in blamelessness, and in purity without. Focusing yourself in on Father God. There's no shortcut. So three things within this thing to refocus. Time in worship. Uh, And Romans, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in the context of giving our lives as living sacrifices. That's worship. And, And come along tonight. Spend time in worship. The second thing is time in prayer. Later Paul says, in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. See how much of this is about the mind, transformation of the mind, guarding the heart and mind, and then time in scripture. Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, there's that word again, of the world caused by evil desires. The the root through this is the knowledge that can come through reading scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to really drop that into your heart and mind and those precious promises. So, time in worship, time in prayer, time in scripture will help us to refocus. Paul says in th- these verses, hold firmly to the word of life. That's what he's talking about. The second one is rhythm. Uh, this is what I call the Van Dyke rule. No, not Ron and Leslie. Sorry, <laughs> just your eyes on. I mean, I, I mean that the other famous Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke, you know, step in time. So rhythm, step in time is really important. We can't simply expect that once in a while worshipping or praying or reading scripture is going to be sufficient for a healthy spiritual life. We need a rhythm of it daily. And if you get out of rhythm, you know, like if Andrew's playing the drums and he, he gets gets a bit sidetracked and he misses a beat what's he does he just stop we go i'll wait for the next song to start no you just find your way back in and if that's where you are spiritually maybe you feel like you've dropped a beat in your spiritual life you don't have to wait for the next song to start you can just pick right back up and that's the beauty of a god who welcomes the prodigal Paul goes on to say, let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. If we're in step with the Spirit, it is far less likely that we would grumble and argue with each other. We we become far more equipped to wrestle down temptations if we keep in step with the Spirit. So work, worship, prayer and Scripture into your daily rhythms and routines Not not as legalistic rules, but as part of a loving relationship. Uh, And then the final thing is this, reverse. Reverse the world's trends. Go in the opposite direction. Turn around. Literally repent. We allow the Spirit of God to help us be the message by demonstrating the nature of Christ in us. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. There are two ways. No, I'm going to leave that. We demonstrate Jesus not by aggression, not with vitriolic language, but with peace and gentleness and patience and wisdom, revealing the character of Jesus with our conduct. And so we switch and trade where there's darkness we bring light where there's despair we bring hope where there is sorrow we bring comfort it's like I think is it Francis of Assisi did he write that make me a channel of your peace you know and it's so true we are supposed to be opposites to the reactions and the musings of the world exchange I implore you the word of grumble for a word of encouragement Instead of jumping into argument, work earnestly to find agreement and unity and learn to disagree well. This is so relevant to society. So, as I wrap up, finally, this requires something of us. Refocus, rhythm, and reverse requires us to do something this doesn't make you saved but if you're a believer this should be happening in our lives Peter says for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just, uh, bands, do you just want to come up? I'm I'm really, really taxiing down the runway back to the hangar now. James talks about taming the tongue. He talks about it in terms of we have to do that. We have to learn. He, he says that out of the same mouth that we praise God, we also curse men. And he says, my brothers, this should not be. It shouldn't be that way. In other words, do something about it. You know, pilots, we've got a couple. Simon's a pilot, Eddie's a pilot. And I know that when one pilot swaps the controls over to another, they, they go through this whole process of saying, I have control, I have, you have control, I have control, you have control, is that right? Yeah. There you go, yes, I could be a pilot. <laughs> James is saying control the door of your face. And you do that by saying to God you have control. And he says, I have control. You have control. I have control. To do that you must let God in, yield your life to him. Let's let's stand together. Perhaps if you're hearing this this morning that's stirring something in you, maybe uncomfortable, I encourage you not to fear it and I encourage you not to fight it. Uh, And if you're a believer, you, like Euodia and Synthache, are saved by grace. Your faith is secure, but that faith will produce, produce a response in you. What is your response? Receive the message, respond to the message, become a part of the message I'm going to leave it there